Welcome to the 30 to Life podcast, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. It's your boy, Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. We have an amazing episode for you today. Uh, Software development engineer, Amazon, and also the chief technology officer at the Bean Path. Today, we're going to be talking about just tech. We're going to talk about his journey. We're going to talk about the Bean Path. And we're just going to talk about why technology is so important today and how you can be a part of it. So with that, I want to thank so much for having Ivan on today. Like he is an amazing individual who represent black excellence. And we're just glad they could be part of the podcast to redefine the black experience. So before I bring him on, we have to talk with your favorite color in the world. What's up, Brown? What's going on? I have to tell the people, I have to tell people this one thing. You know that the healthcare system is really challenged right now, and I am an, I am a healthcare worker, and the healthcare system is really challenged. And I need all patients or all probable patients to really consider the stress that we have been under, and we're still going. And you know, we we, just, we gotta we, we gotta work together here, people. So these are all the patients in the in, in the world, um, particularly in the, in the United States right now. But the healthcare system is strained. That's Wait, so what, what are patients doing? What I are just, they doing? I, I, I don't want to get into specific, but I want to say that there, there's, there's a shortage of nurses. We've, there's not enough nurses out there in the world right now. Uh, and there's, there's really a, a high demand for nurses. So people, if you want to be a nurse, now is the perfect time to do it. But um, it's just a lot, a, lot of, a lot of issues when it comes to patience being patient <laughs> and so would you understanding, say understanding that there's a, a strain right now on the american healthcare system so they're being non-compliant or they're being uh hate irritable impatient. Okay. impatient i think is the best way to put it impatient well well you know that you know technology has made people less patient because yes. you know they want everything instant because we have access to everything instant Mm-hmm. right um and generation yes exactly and we can thank uh some engineers like ivan who have accelerated this process of impatience so ivan what's going on thank you for so much for coming on really appreciate it uh thank you guys for having me man it's a pleasure to be here you're black and yeah you're in stem you're you're a software engineer mm-hmm. how did you get into that like like talk to us about that yeah, take us through uh, your journey. Man, uh, so they say what it does, it necessity is the mother of all inventions. So necessity is kind of the invention of this story of my life. Uh, so I'm the youngest of 14 children. Whoa, wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, so you got a village. You got a village there. I, I, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I think I'm at 22 niece and nephews presently. Uh and I'm a, lot a of Christmas presents. Thirty-six year old great uncle already. My <laughs> oldest nephew will be thirty this year, and so I was like, "Man, like, wait, 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 <laughs> wait, hold on, hold on." I, I heard it. I heard of it takes a village, but this is this is getting back here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So wow. and, and I think another nephew. Yeah, my other nephew just had a kid. I think this week. So I'm wow. a two time great uncle, man. It hadn't even hit forty, so you know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so 
you know, now that you got all that, we all family and, you know, <laughs> y'all can blend in at the cookout. Uh, you know, nobody's going to notice you uh, at, at my family's cookout because, you know, so many folks anyway. Uh, you know, so jump back to being the youngest of 14. Uh, I have nine brothers and four sisters. Uh, we grew up in a five-bedroom, three-bath house in Mississippi where my dad and my mom kind of worked together to add on two bedrooms and a bathroom to a three-bedroom, two-bath house that they bought and they've lived in, what, 50 years now. Wow. And so Wow, congratulations, dad, 50 years. That's <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. My mom uh, just turned 77 last month and my dad would be 79 later this year. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, can't, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, Gemini. I almost messed it up, man. You know, my mama <laughs> better than me already. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, you go back there and kind of, you know, uh, one thing, uh, so for me, kind of, I circle back to is about that backstory, but uh, specific to entering into tech, uh, for me, uh, I'm young, but I'm old. And so I say that because when I was a kid and, you know, I'm from a generation where I think most folks had computers or at least some form of access, right? I'm 36 in theory. Man, uh, my parents, my sister was always the smart one in the family until I came along. And so they always made sure she had everything she needed. I think we were banking on her like the NBA, like she's go, she's the smart one. We don't know what she's going to do, but she's going to do something great in, edu- you know, academically or whatever. And so they, they, they went and bought a word processor. I don't know if y'all know what that is. Mm-hmm. That's like right after the typewriter. But in between, I didn't know computers were out there. <laughs> so in hindsight, I'm like, man, why did they buy, spend all this money on the word processor and they could have got a whole computer mm. and it's 14 of us. Mm. So, you know, we, we, we thought we was living at large, you know. So for me, that was kind of like my first exposure to computer. I had a typewriter that you could see on the screen before you hit the print button. Like, wow, you know, we have to do that little whiteout thing and all of that stuff, you know. Mind blown when I found out, wait a minute, I can get a computer and get on the Internet and and do all these things, you know. So that didn't come until later. Fortunately for me, I'm having a lot of siblings. My brother bought my first computer in the house. And so that's kind of how I ended up getting into tech, because I was the explorer in the family so what that means is i broke the computer so therefore i had to fix it (laughs) and that's kind of the foundation of my skills i would i would break the computer like when cd burners first came out like i was intrigued by and i was like oh man you know you can burn cds now like you can make your own cds at home and you know in our environment all of us kind of if you get to a certain level of success got a little hustler to you you know and so for me, it was like, man, I could burn CDs, I could download music, you know, had a few caveats like dial up internet and one phone line in the house. So, you know, you're trying to leave it downloaded music all night and then you wake up in the morning, you're devastated because it disconnected at some point during the night and you didn't lost like six hours of download time. 
the kids don't know nothing about this. They we yeah. them. They like <laughs> they listening now, like burn a CD. Yeah, I said, yes, said things on fire. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> they don't even know what a CD is. Do you yeah. know, like what? Uh, do you put that in or on an iPhone? Is that an app? You know, now we used to have. I don't even know how to explain it to this generation with iPhones now. Like we used to have to, we used to have a. a I don't even know, man. Do I say DVDs? Do they know what that is? Yeah. Well, no, one phone. I, I don't think they can imagine just having one phone and then that's connected to the internet. So you either had you either using the phone or you're using the internet. That and, that and you didn't always get to choose. Because in a big house, I might be using the internet, but if somebody wanted to, you know, execute some authority over me, all they had to do is pick up the phone. Yep. <laughs> and then they were like, yeah, disconnect call. And I'm like, no, no, can we now okay. Well, you don't want to negotiate. Got it. You win. You know, and so, you know, from that era where, you know, it, kind of back to your initial thing about the microwave generation, you know, we had to wait on the Internet, wait on the music and everything. And so coming from that environment, you know, I just kind of um, was pretty industrious in terms of just needing to fix things myself when I broke it, because, you know, I didn't have anyone really coaching me or whatever. And, you know. In my household, it's kind of like, well, why did you do that? And I was like, well, I thought, you know what, well, let me just figure it out myself. And so that's kind of, you know, how I got into tech and being self-sufficient and being able to explore and do whatever, uh, you know, it's kind of just out of necessity. I didn't want to, you know, I couldn't afford to break the computer, you know, and I don't know if it's politically correct, but, you know, we got weapons in my house too. So, you know, I was like, man, I ain't trying to get no whipping for breaking stuff or whatever. So, so it was all necessity for me initially. That's old school too, getting whippings. Like, you know, they call that for something now. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's why I was like, like, do people still do that? Like, are we just on time out now? I'm not sure. But yeah, uh, yeah. So, what what they do what they doing now, Brown? They they doing uh they doing you doing beatings? What are you doing? Nah, right? Time out. I ever done was smack on the hand. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. I haven't gone beyond that. Times has changed. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, my parents are older for both most folks my generation. So, you know, I I wasn't that far removed from sharecropping. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, so that actually brings me to my next point, my next question, actually. So, you know, you're a black man, but you're from Mississippi and you're in the tech industry, that ha there has to be some, some challenges, some barriers that you've had to overcome. Uh, can you just like go into that a little bit? There definitely are, I don't always see them because mm -hmm. I'm so authentically myself, you know? And so that's not necessarily on purpose. So, right, I have this rich, I'll describe <laughs> Mississippi accent. I didn't always know that. So when I went into tech, you know, and I would go, you know, and I, I've worked in Minnesota, Massachusetts, uh, you know, and I got there and people act like I was speaking a different language, you know. Mm. So then I got my professional tone. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I'm again all professional. I <laughs> used that professional tone for years. It wasn't until I got to Georgia Tech that somebody said, you sound like you're still from Mississippi. You're just talking faster. Crushed my whole <laughs> world, man. I was like, I've been like, I thought this was patented and approved. And now you're telling me I've been using this for like like six, eight years now. And you're like, oh, you're yeah. just talking faster. You still sound like you're from Mississippi. So it's kind of an accident in that way, you know, that I thought, you know, I was hiding my accent, but people was just like, oh man, he's from Mississippi and he's so proud about it. And it wasn't a shame, but you know, 
I did it to kind of assimilate so that my accent wouldn't be a distraction to people. You know, I was like, yep. Uh, you know, and so, but it kind of unintentionally, people was just like, oh, you know, he from Mississippi and he, you know, and so I kind of, regardless of that, showed up as myself, you know, and I remember um, I was working at Raytheon in Massachusetts and this guy, I don't remember his name, it was 2007, and I walk into a room and I think I've seen him a few times. We were on the same team. He said, how does it feel to be the only black person here? Yeah, yeah. And most folks would ponder so deeply about that. And I wish I had an earth shattering story for you, but I look back at him, man. And I said, you're the only Indian. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and everybody looked and I was like, what kind of question is that? You're the only Indian in the room and you got the audacity to ask me how I feel to be the only black person. Like right. we in the DOD sector, it's dominated by conservatives. Like we both like nobody's like really expecting us to be here, you know? kind of like it's mostly white males like if any part of tech that's the white male portion is the dod sector right the raytheons and lockheed martins historically are going to be where you're going to find your old school white male engineers you know and so that you know that was one of my first experiences and i mean i just kept rolling like mm -hmm. you you we both just plus just one person removed from you know, none, no representation in the room. So uh, I think, so to that point for me, I'm kind of just blunt with observations like that, you know? So a lot of people might get consumed and I just roll like, man, I ain't, what? Anyway, okay, you know, and just kind of, and to that, you know, for me, and I just had this conversation with a colleague, you know, I said, people's perception of me is their problem, not mine. I said, I can't control wholly the perception you form of me. All I can do is be myself, show up as myself, and what the perception you form, part of it is outside of your control, a lot of it, because people mm -hmm. go think what they want to think about you. I say, so if I live my life considering what everybody thinks about me, like kind of like goes to the phrase, I'm letting you live rent free in my head. Like you ain't paying my bills and things like that. If I feel like I'm doing the things that I need to do professionally, personally, you know, with respect to my family and stuff. Why should I be overly consumed with what this stranger thinks? It's a good, yeah. point. It's a good point. No, no, I love that. I love it. I think that, I think, you know, a lot of times we live in our own heads, you know, just thinking about, you know, the adversity we're going to face or the racism we're going to face or prejudice. And that will have us second guessing ourselves at times. So, you know, I love that, you know, you're authentic, authentically yourself and you keep on moving forward um, and, and proud of, you know, who you are as a person. Uh, so that's that's awesome. Um, that takes a lot of confidence. How? Yeah. How did you get to that point? Yeah. Would, would <laughs> that you say that you always like that or was it a journey uh, to get to that place? Yeah, it's like flipping a coin, I think, like it probably happened at a young age when you got nine older brothers. <laughs> uh, so I, I was always determined, uh, even as a kid, but I was determined to get even with my siblings. So that kind of probably led me to be as creative as I am, because, you know, you're the youngest, so you're probably the smallest, the weakest. So, you know, I'm always plotting and scheming in my head how I was going to get even with them. You know, I was dangerous like that. I was like, you know what? I'll be able to get you in three years when I put on 20 more pounds. 
But you just wait, you know. And so my siblings have this joke where they say, like, I always promise I'm going to get you, you know. And it's like, oh, he had a whole song, you know. But I was like, you know, I, when I felt like they wronged me, I was like, I'm going to eventually set them straight. Maybe not right now. And so I think over time, though, that built up my confidence in terms of saying, you know, I was very principled, like, you're wrong. I, I may not be able to, you know, tell, you know, fight you or whatever, but you're wrong and I need to find a way to let you know you're wrong. And so over time, that just built up, you know, with thinking of ways being the smaller one in the fan or the youngest, right? By default, you're you're the smallest for a great portion of your life. Um wrestling with that but also i think uh the other part is just my parents so you know um my confidence came when i realized how brilliant they were and you know i often when i got to college you know uh i was pretty good student and so people would say to me uh like we just have casual conversation i say both of my parents are engineers and it's like i knew it that's why you're so good and i was like well I call them engineers, they ain't got the school for it. And so, you know, we we worked on all our own cars because my dad was like, we gotta get out here and change this oil, change this starter. And and kind of to your uh, Brown question, uh, my dad used to use me when I was little. <laughs> he was like, he peeped it in me, even if I didn't know, he's like, you got a good memory. So <laughs> we had smartphones back then, so. <laughs> I remember being under the car, having to remember where all the screws went in the starter when we took it off. Wow. And so he was like, nah, and I was like, no, that one didn't come from there. He's like, I'm telling you, it didn't come from there. That screw went there. And so, you know, him even realizing I had a pretty sharp memory and just kind of not even intentionally out of necessity, right? Honing it with me paying attention to the details like that. And so then um, just realizing, man, my mom used to grocery shop and school clothes shop. And she, my mom was stay at home mom, right? So we on a single income household and we making it work. And so, you know, I said, man, I tell people now, it's like my mom's an industrial engineer. She was doing cost projections, uh, budget forecasting. She knew when the sales were at the ball. She knew, okay, I'm gonna buy this many of this because by the time, Nest, my brother gets too big for it. Carlos or Ivan can fit into it. Like, man, if that ain't some level of genius, I don't know what it is. You know, uh, all of that, you know, and people call it, you know, uh, uh, a housewife. But, you know, at some point, I think I had a science teacher tell me, oh, your mom's a domestic engineer. And I stuck with that and I rolled with Ooh, it. I'm like, I like that. That. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, she 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 managed that household like no other, you know, like, you know, and now, you know, I'm like, man, I'm single and by myself. And how was she making all this work? And my sister says the same thing. She has three kids and she's like, man, I got three boys. I have no idea how mom did it with 14. And then to think my daddy at times was working 80 hour work weeks. And then we, you know, he still somehow early on, they found time to add like 2,400 square feet onto the house themselves, you know? And so when you really stop and pause at the, the, the stock that you come from and the things that we are taught in our culture to minimize and trivialize and understand the greatness of this that comes so natural to us, you know, how could you not be confident? How could you not walk in it? 
Yes. Yes. I love that. I love the domestic engineer. I mean, that's a, that's a new term for a stay at home mom. So let's, let's just start today. Domestic engineers. I love it. I love it. And you know, your story, you know, you could see like from having a big family um, where, you know, you were like a tribe and everyone supported each other and your parents, you know, allowed you to do work for yourself and be a part of their process of, you know, changing cars, like, you know, that, that helped you to who you became today. So, um, you know, so, so you, there is one bit mm -hmm. in there I would like to add that I forgot or forget. Part of it was I had a teacher. My mom tells a story uh, when I went to kindergarten that my kindergarten teacher, Gloria King, shout out to you. She told my mom when I was in kindergarten, Ivan is slow, but it's not because he's slow. He's meticulous. Just wait. He's going to get it done. And so my mom took that and was like, all right, Miss King told me Ivan, you know, doesn't need that level. Like Miss King saw that like, oh, he, he doesn't rush through things because he's uh, something came up once. I was talking to someone It's like quick processor, but I'm a slow learner. So I process things over and over before I say, oh, OK, that I, I agree with that or whatever. Right. And so but she she saw that and conveyed that to my mom. And that was back when, you know, parents didn't beef with the teachers uh, over their kid. They trusted them. And so, you know, I, I think that was a huge part to your question about, you know, that confidence is like my mom, you know, was like, OK, she was rocking with Miss King. I'm glad Miss King knew what she was talking about. Because sometimes I joke, I be like, I think my mom, you know, was a little tired when I came along. So she just let me raise myself a little bit after that. Because Miss King said that I've been good. He got it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm just thinking like, okay, so you have this great background, great family, you know, your mother and your father, you know, supported you all the way through. Like, take us through the transition to how you uh, uh, start how you become a software engineer at Amazon? Like, what was the journey to get to that point? So, you know, so picking up from Miss King, going through school, I took, you know, some accelerated courses going through school. So I was uh, a good student. And then I, we have a program called Academic and Performance Arts in Mississippi or Jackson in particular in the JPS school district. And so I enrolled in that. And so, you know, it's like, prepares you to take AP courses starting at like middle school or whatever. And um, I, I got in that uh, program and just kind of went through it. And there's a story there where I wasn't doing too well in middle school. And uh, well, I think I was doing fine. But my math <laughs> teacher told my mom when my mom went to parent teacher conference, Ivan isn't doing well in my class. He's not going to make it. And she was very definitive. And my mom came home and was like, Miss, I'll leave her name out, said that you're not doing well in her class. You're not going to make it. And she was like, do you need a tutor or something? First of all, I think that was theoretical because I don't think we had tutor money. But, uh, you know, and so I was like, oh, no, it's cool. She just, you know, talking. She don't know my skill set. Like, and, and, and I don't know where that came from, to be honest. And how it's like, like, but I was real cool. Like, yeah, she, she, she doubted me. And that's OK. I could see why. And like I, I passed her class. And so I just kind of went from there. Wasn't always the strongest student on paper, but I was probably more of the student that, you know, 
uh, wasn't going to get your 4.0 GPA, but I was going to do what I needed to do and probably just would say, yeah, I don't need to do all of that. I just need to do this bit because they want you to do all of that for the people who don't know how to do this bit, you know? And so just going through just kind of, you know, I had failures in high school. I think I almost flunked Spanish class. I had that rough patch in there where I was rebellious and stuff. Uh, I won't go into all the details because I want to stay out of jail if they find out some of the stuff I did uh, because I was perceived to be the good kid, the good student. And um, uh, I mean, I guess I could go ahead and say it. I actually did go to the detention center when I was in high school. Uh, you do? So, you know, <laughs> um, you know I, I don't think I ever said this publicly before, <laughs> but uh, we were poor. I mean, at least from my perspective. So, you know, sometimes I took things that I needed. And, uh, Sticky know. fingers, <laughs> arms and shoulders. Nah, everything stuck to me as I nah. But you know, and so I did have that rough patch in there where you know I I I, I did end up in the detention center, and you know it wasn't like like probably was flunking just about every class or whatever. Uh, this was around tenth grade. You know, so then kind of bounced out of that period of time once that happened. And I got, I say, disciplined uh, by my father. Uh, and so, you know, then kind of went on, went to college, uh, you know, and, I, you know, kind of telling it, it sounds like college was for sure. Like, I always knew I was going to college, but that was because I wanted to get out of my parents' house. And it seemed like the best exit strategy, you know, it wasn't like. Uh, a wholesome like oh you go to college you know because honestly like what four out of my siblings graduated from college so not all of us went and finished college or whatever so there wasn't a foregone conclusion for me and I was so poverty stricken in my mindset like I applied to Jackson State because they didn't have a, a an admission fee and I remember thinking coming out of high school oh man I would apply to Georgia Tech but they want me to pay them $50 just to find out if I could go there I know I can't afford tuition like that's expensive in my head right like I, I didn't have that exposure honestly about like oh yeah just apply you might get a, a scholarship or whatever like I I, I just kind of was winging it honestly coming out of high school going into college, I got a scholarship to Jackson State. That kind of is what really anchored me in engineering. Honestly, I was like, I'm going to just take this scholarship, get these intro courses out the way, and then I'll figure out what my major going to be from there because I, I wasn't even sure I was going to stay in engineering. And just so happened, like my sophomore year, I uh, took a course that really, you know, anchored me with the rest of uh, some of the other engineering students. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool and I'm pretty good at it. You know, and so I went from kind of like hacking and and like I told you, like putting stuff together or trying to, you know, uh, when I put the CD burner in the computer and I broke it or I shorted something and having to fix that to, you know, really solidifying my skills and understanding, oh, people get paid to do this. Well, oh, okay, cool. You know, I was just trying to not, you know, get in trouble or, or have a little beef with my brother or whatever about breaking his computer. So, you know, and that's, that's really how I ended up in as an engineer. Um, and so from there, you know, I just kept going. Then I was really hustling because I was like, I got to make this work. You know, like I was like, somebody giving me money to go to school. What? 
man, this like blew my mind. <laughs> like, and so I was like, man, I can't mess this up. I got to keep this GPA or whatever. So, so I was real, you know, hustler minded. And I like went out and got internship while I was in undergrad. So first time I went out, I didn't know what I was doing. I still had that unprofessional email address. I'm still balling Ivan at Hotmail, but I don't use it. But, you know, I was, that was, you know, I ain't, you know, you, you live, you learn. So, hey, y'all, update your email address uh, <laughs> to something, uh, first name, last name at Gmail or something for your resume. Um, and so I, um, I just was hustling, like getting internships and stuff because I was at Jackson State. I was at this new engineering program that wasn't even accredited yet. So I wasn't banking on getting an engineer degree. And so I didn't understand the value I was adding to myself getting these internships. And so by the time I finished at Jackson State, I had interned at the Air, uh, Air Force Research Lab, Army Research Lab, Raytheon, IBM, probably somewhere else I'm forgetting. Oh, University of Minnesota. I had spent five weeks in Poland. And so, you know, all of these opportunities just came because I, I just was hungry and like, I was like, yeah, I can't bank on this. I don't even know if this program going to get accredited. So I got to get some experience. And so I think that kind of was the most important part, you know, was that hustler's ambition that I had. And so even when I left Jackson State, I came to Georgia Tech for grad school. And I remember talking to my brother and he's like, man, you're not really an engineer. You're just a hustler who found a new hustle. And, you know, if that's you, you're a hustler, you know, and you're trying to find a new hustle, then, you know, there's value in that hustler mindset and being able to get things done. But I'll say, so I have a question. How did you, how did you, you just, you just knew that stuff. You didn't have any but mentorship. You just, you just kind of had to utilize that hustler mentality and does you just figured it out uh what stuff like you mean like the courses or like like so i so for instance you, you said you said you went from you went from just you know hacking and and you know uh putting the computer together then to to amazon like that that's that's an amazing accomplishment guess what i'm trying to figure out is who helped you along your way or, or did you have any help along your way you just kind of just had to just figure it out like you said so I guess, yeah, to your thing, I, so I told you my sister was the smart one in the family, right? Until I came along. <laughs> and so I really had been teaching since I was like 16. So like, I, I got like a teaching nature about me. And so I do have an ability to learn stuff just to teach others. And so uh, when I was in high school, I was teaching people stuff, but but I was working with them. And I was like, well, you know, like to me, things just, the puzzle has to fit. And I think once you get that out of your mind, like the world works, it makes sense. And I think sometimes when you come from, you know, actually I was middle class, but I didn't know it until I got old and realized my sister said, we thought we was poor and daddy had a retirement account. Like poor people don't save for retirement and daddy, my dad retired early, you know, but so we thought we were poorer than we were. And so, um, but I think truly poor people, you have to get that cloud out of you. And I don't think I really ha ever had that cloud, right? I came from that background, even though it wasn't intentional where, you know, I had to work on the starter. So I had some experience with my hands and, you know, and so, all you really need, and that's the key to success, honestly, is, is taking that first block that you have and saying, okay, how do I sit the next block on top of it? 
And I think sometimes people try and put three bots on top or 10 and then they fall over and they're like, oh my gosh, and they waste all this time. And one thing I'm really good at is putting one block on top of the other. And I remember I had an ex-girlfriend who, you know, criticized me and I tried to multitask one time and it didn't go well. And then I said, you know what? This multitasking stuff don't make sense. I do one thing really well and then I switch to something else and I can do that real fast. And so knowing that like, okay, just, just stack these blocks. So kind of to your point, I ask the questions that I need, but I start from the basis of, I can understand this, right? Like just, just you know, a lot of times in our community, we're taught that this isn't for us. And I've always had the impression that I could understand something. And that kind of was born out of necessity though. Cause I remember my sister was in college and she was like, I need your help. And I was like, what? I don't know physics. So then, but me being the type of person I am who really tries to help people, I was like, okay, we'll get it together. Now I'm 16 years old, looking in a college physics book. And I, I did learn enough of it and kind of was helping her because I felt like I had to. I felt like I needed to because at some point it transitioned from my sister to me that I was the one the family was kind of banking on as the measure of success. As you're speaking, I'm just thinking about like, you know, all the people who uh, go into fields outside of tech and um, the missed opportunity. So can you can you kind of talk to one, like, what is it like being an engineer and in a tech company? And then two, like, how can people transition into tech? How can they get into tech? And is it as difficult as as it may seem or like what are some best practices? Uh, so best practice uh i'll circle back to put that block find you a block whatever that block is you know whether it's coding whether it's data science what like there's something in tech you could do right like 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 i say my mom was an engineer without me even knowing it right so you go to school they call it projections and forecasting and she was just you know making sure our ends met <laughs> you know and so find that connection first, right? And so uh, because I have a teaching background, I always like people often try and navigate the world without understanding where they are. And I think the best thing is to understand where you are first to know where you're trying to go. So, so identify what skills you have, what things you do like and don't like. Because I think oftentimes people start with somebody told me and then they don't really have a passion and, you know, you don't have to love coding or whatever, right? Like, I just like problem solving. I, I, some days coding's cool. Some days I want to solve problems without writing software. And so there's this misconception that we focus on the skill you need versus that underlying foundation. Like, and that kind of goes back to learning. So it's like putting that one block. Okay, what what do I want to do in tech? Or, or I don't even say in tech. What problem do I want to solve? Start there. It's that simple. What problem do I want to solve? Because I honestly was having a conversation with a friend that the education system messed up because we teach kids like knowledge has always existed versus, well, somebody had a problem and they needed a solution. And so you start there, okay, I got a problem. I need to make more money. Getting this opportunity is my solution. Okay, uh, where can I start? You know, you can tweet me. I'll reply to you, you know, reach out to like, the world's way different than it was 10, 15 years ago. There's YouTube videos. You can tweet people in the field, you know, 
my colleagues and stuff, uh, several of them are very active online. So just, you know, ask these people, hey, I'm here and I would like to get where you are or somewhere adjacent. Can you give me some pointers, right? It's that simple, like with Twitter and stuff, like people are giving out this information for free. So I think the first part is just be willing to explore and understand what's out there, what options are available to you, and then try and find something you think you're aligned with and plot a plan. And so like, I got a mentee that I'm kind of working through with this. So now I'm like, yeah, don't make it mysterious, you know, just put it out there. Like, okay, here's what I'm going to do each day to get to the goal and stick with that plan and make those connections and stack those blocks. So, so you mentioned you have a mentee that, that that's pretty awesome. How, how important do you feel mentorship is? Cause we're, we're, oh. we're finding, we're finding that like, you know, a lot of people that are in successful positions, they have mentors or, or whether it be a books or, or just a personal mentor. And, and we're, we're learning that uh, there's a gap, uh, so to speak, between mentors and, and really people with experiences and then really the, the people that actually want to learn them, like college students. Like, how do you, how do you feel about mentorship? Oh, uh, I think it's, I mean, it's critical, you know, uh, you know, people say mentorship, but, you know, my dad was a mentor of mine, right? I picked up a lot of these skills about using my hands from him, you know, but, you know, we say that's why father is important because he's mentoring, you know, and so I think a lot of times we don't have that in our community, but I think, you know, you can find mentors, like I say, on Twitter or whatever, but I, I think it's also part of the responsibility. Like I have a side project now that I started with Jackson State to address exactly what you're saying. There's this disconnect between the alumni and the current students. And I'm like, okay, yeah, when I went, there wasn't any engineering alum, right? You know, Jackson State just started its engineering program in 1999. I was just having this conversation with um, someone at Amazon who wants to do programs and partner with HBCUs. And, you know, I was explaining the historical context of engineering programs in the South or at Black schools. I said, Jackson State didn't have an engineering program to 1999 because the state of Mississippi disproportionately funded the white institutions over the black institutions. So they didn't even have money, even if they wanted to. And then John Ayers had to sue the state of Mississippi on behalf of the HBCU and 20 year lawsuit to prove that they were doing this. Then Jackson State got money to start an engineering program. Right. And so they got this money. And so now you start a program, you know, you, now your top students typically going to go to the more established program. And it's, so it's kind of what we see with sports, right? It's the same thing here. You know, this top students, people want to be where the resources are. So I think that mentorship piece is critical because now you have somewhat of a pipeline to feed into. And so now, you know, you have to reach back. And so what we're trying to do as a group is put the infrastructure in place to make this kind of autopilot. Because the reality is every alum doesn't have the passion to put this program or whatever together. So, you know, I got a couple who are really passionate about it and, you know, contribute. But we're aware, like, we don't expect everybody to be as passionate and involved as us. What we're trying to do is structure it so that if you want to give in a certain way, you give. If you want, got an hour to give once a month, then let's set up what that program looks like and how students can join it or lean on it. because 
you know, I was flying blind. I didn't know any engineers, honestly. I was grown when I found out my uncle went to HBCU and I just thought that was ridiculous. I was like, I didn't know he went to college. You, you tell me I've been hanging with HBCU grad my whole life and didn't know what that was. We just didn't talk like that, man, as a family. And so I think that's part of it is just that transfer of information from, you know, I consider it a form of generational wealth. That's how important mentorship is to me, right? I've learned this way of success, this mode of thinking and operating uh, how to exist in this culture, you know, and, and it's, it's a duty to share that with those coming behind me that say, hey, you know, this isn't as complicated as people are making it out to seeing, you know, it might be difficult, but there's a difference between difficulty and complicated. You know, uh, lifting a refrigerator is difficult, not complicated. You know what you got to do, but it's still hard. <laughs> And so, you know, uh, I, I think you, we just have to. We have to find ways to to do that, to reach back, to put systems in place to have that sharing of knowledge. Agreed. Agreed. It's so important that we share knowledge. And it also is it's really important that, you know, not only do we focus on, you know, passing wealth, but also knowledge, right? Generational knowledge is so important. And, you know, it, it's really interesting, like in our communities, like, as you mentioned with your uncle, that you didn't know that he went to college. And it's just like, we have to get better at exchanging the things that we learn and the things that we've come across so that we can make it easier for the next generation or someone that's following in our same footsteps. So mentorship is definitely uh, important and it just helps people uh, get closer to their goals and dreams. So, yeah. So uh, just last last question. Right. I want to kind of go into the beam path. I know you're the chief technology officer. Um, for the beam path. Uh, can you kind of talk about like some of the things that you guys are, that you guys are working on and how people can get involved? Uh, sure. So yeah, uh, the beam path is a nonprofit that uh, was started by a friend and colleague of mine, Dr. National Cephas. Uh, and so she and I are both from Jackson, Mississippi and part of this Amazon startup story and uh, blacks in tech where she's a double minority and so we wanted to give back to the community in which we're from. So, you know, we, we, we successful in tech, but, you know, there's this notion of everybody going out to Silicon Valley, you know, that's where tech happens. And we're like, well, no, you know, we need to be able to use this in the communities that need it the most versus, you know, exporting it. And so the Bean Path uh, is based out of Jackson, Mississippi. And what we do is I call it the Apple Genius Bar for the rest of the world. So, you know, you can take your iPhone into the Apple store and get help or whatever. But where do you know, where does your mom go? Where does my mom go with, you know, just basic questions. Right. And so we started it with just setting up in the public library in the neighborhood that we were from. And you could just walk in and ask any question. I mean, about building website, app, my phone. You know, we've had people come in, want to use Instagram or Facebook, but not sure how. And so that's kind of the basis of it is uh, trying to provide tech equity and access to those resources such as myself and Nashley, who, you know, when we are highly accomplished and successful, we're asked to leave our community behind and leave it depleted. And we're determined to go back and make sure that it's there. And so... Um, you can go to the beanpath.org. Uh, we do a feature presentation the second Saturday of every month where we cover some topic in tech. So from lunch and a career in tech, having panelists, 
of gardening with tech and just almost any topic you can think of with tech, you know, you might see it in our presentation. And so you can also sign up on the website to be a volunteer if you want to help, you know, and so we'll, uh, once you submit that, we'll uh, take you in and add you to our space and our cycles and get you assigned to helping people. And um, yeah, I think that's mostly it. Oh, and we do tech office hours every Saturday as well after the feature presentation. And so that's where you can come in or sign up since we've been virtual more than a year now and get a 20 minute slot. And that's when you ask us whatever question you want, whether it's related to social media, startup app, website, and you can get guidance from, you know, experts in the tech space in different areas, uh, graphic design, uh, just pretty much we try and cover every topic. And it, myself, it's national. We got colleagues from Amazon who volunteer. We have people from the community and we're just trying to bridge everybody and create this ecosystem. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, for our listeners listening now, you know, if you are thinking about creating anything in, in technology, feel free to go to the beanpath.org uh, to take advantage of their amazing offer. Uh, so, so Ivan, uh, really appreciate you coming on. You dropped a lot of gems. You, you talked about a lot of great things that we need to do just to empower our community, empower our own, and uh, truly love everything that you represent. So uh, lastly, where can people find you? Uh, where can they get in contact with you at? So you can find me as I walk the line, I-W-A-L-K-D-A-L-I-N-E on all social media platforms. So I'm on Instagram, Twitter, still figuring out TikTok, uh, <laughs> Facebook. So yeah, you can search for me on any of those platforms by that handle, uh, I walk the line and yeah, inbox me or whatever. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, and, and be sure also to check out the beanpath.org as well um, as another resource as well. So yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, this has been great. And this has been another uh, example of someone redefining the Black experience. So it's your boy, Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. 30 to life, we out. And make sure you hit that subscribe button. See you next week.